1: Welcome to the fifth episode of the Curly W Live podcast. As a reminder, you can always find the podcast on our blog, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcast, and on iTunes, search Curly W Live. So as we record this, the Nationals are in the midst of a nine-game road trip that began with a big four-game sweep over the Cincinnati Reds in their first Uh, series following the all-star break the road trip will take the nationals from cincinnati to anaheim where they'll have a two-game midweek series against the angels before heading to arizona for a weekend series with the diamondbacks following this road trip the nationals will return back to dc for a homestand beginning next tuesday july 25th against the first place milwaukee brewers and the colorado rockies Uh, That series against the Rockies will mark the return of former national Ian Desmond. So episode five of the Curly W Live podcast features interviews with Rob McDonald, the VP of Clubhouse Operations and Team Travel for the Nationals, and Eddie Longos, the Director of Scouting Operations. Uh, We talk with both guys about their careers in baseball, their day-to-day duties, and some of the aspects of their jobs that you may not necessarily know or think about. All in all, I think these are two very interesting conversations Uh, that I hope you enjoy. So here you go. Here's episode five of the Curly W Live podcast. Our first interview is with Rob McDonald. As we talk about in this interview, Rob has been with the team uh, since Montreal and his career in baseball started even before that. Uh, We were able to talk to Rob on, frankly, a perfect day uh, for an interview like this because it was the day the Nationals acquired Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle. Rob gave us a great glimpse into how that acquisition impacted his day, um, how he approached it, how he uh, interacted with those two players once he finally got in touch with them. Uh, we also talk about his history, his career path, um, what it's like running a clubhouse, what it's like running team travel for a Major League Baseball team. Um, so, this interview is a great glimpse into uh, Rob's career, his history in baseball, and um, what it's like to uh, have the role that he has. So, here's our interview with Rob. All right, we are coming to you live from the Curly W studios, which today uh, reside in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, we're here on Sunday night recording after the Nationals' 14-4 win over the Cincinnati Reds this afternoon. In addition to the win, there's a lot of big news today, so we'll get into that with Rob as well. But we're here with Rob McDonald, the vice president of clubhouse operations and team travel for the Nationals. Uh, among Rob's many accomplishments in his career, uh, he has not one but two traveling secretary of the year awards to his name from 2003 and 2015. Um, you can find more on these awards in Rob's very extensive media guide bio found on page 62 of the 2017 Washington Nationals Media Guide. Uh, Rob, thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for that info. <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, like I said, today is a great day to talk to you. Um, as, you said, as we said, we're in Cincinnati following Washington's win today, and there's some big news today that uh, impacted your job, and I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that and how that all impacted your day and how it's kind of like a day in the life of a, of a traveling secretary. But first... Um, Let's start with your career path. Uh, you're in your 16th season with the organizations and after starting with the Expos in 2002, right? Yes, correct. Um, so can you walk us through your career path, how you got to that point and how you've
0: uh, gone since then? Well, it was kind of an odd start. After uh, college at the University of Arizona, I was helping run adult and youth leagues in Tucson. <laughs> and uh, I'd interviewed with uh, the Arizona Cardinals football team and talked some other uh, sports contacts, but nothing really panned out. And then one of the gentlemen who was in uh, the adult basketball league was Mike Fader. At the time, Mike was the uh, general manager of the Tucson Toros AAA team of the Diamondbacks during their inaugural season. And I kind of looked for some advice from him, asked about some ideas off of him. And I asked him, you know, uh, if you hear of anything, please let me know. Uh, let me know if you hear of any jobs in any capacity. So ironically, about two weeks later, he called and said, hey, we have a job as a, kind of a coach's intern or a coach's assistant during sprint training that year. Would I be interested? I really hadn't played baseball since high school other than some organized softball games but I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, I worked with the uh, Diamondbacks coaching staff th- that first sprint training kind of working with Carlos Toskis their uh, bench coach setting up fields throwing BP doing various jobs for them during that first inaugural sprint training then kind of piggybacked that into an internship in their marketing department uh, during the regular season and just kind of worked odd jobs. I worked a uh, with the Nike at their outlet, I worked at a radio station. Is like uh, doing a lot of their uh, appearances or their uh, their outer market events. Uh, then uh, at the end of the season, I kind of then from there, I was kind of again looking for another job. Uh, a boss of mine with the Diamondbacks told me about the Arizona Fall League. So I worked the Arizona Fall League after that as the uh, general manager of the uh, Sun City uh, Solar Sox. Uh, which was a good, a great experience. We I met a lot of people doing that. A lot of future uh, nationals were on that team. Oh, really? Yeah, we had uh, Marlon Anderson was on the team. Okay. Uh, Micah Bowie, who was mm-hmm. uh, uh, Expo. Uh, George Lombard. Uh, DeRosa was also on that team. Mark DeRosa? Yeah, Mark wow. DeRosa was on that team. So we had, we had a pretty good squad yeah. that year. But from there, I was kind of out in limbo for a little while. I didn't really have a job lined up after the fall league. And I gave myself an ultimatum. I was either going to find a job by the uh, first of the year, or I was gonna join the Marines, one of the two. Uh, luckily, a job opened up with the Arizona Diamond, uh, with, excuse me, from the Arizona Diamondbacks, I heard of a job with the uh, Marlins. Uh, it's kind of one of those small world type situations where the, the manager of my Solar Sox team was Freddie Gonzalez, who was a triple-A manager, and Carlos Tosca's had worked also with the Marlins. So he basically put a good word in with me with Dan Lunetta. I interviewed for an assistant position in the player development scouting department and got the position uh, that, that, that January.
1: So do you remember when you started um, in that role, do you remember any advice someone gave you, whether it was Freddie or Carlos Tosca or anybody in baseball that, you know, it was your first job, do this, or remember to do this, or you'll be successful if you do this?
0: One thing that they always taught me was try to treat every day like it's your first day of the internship. Approach the job with some great enthusiasm, uh, a great zest for trying to learn as much as possible. And just try to keep your head down and keep working, try to stay as positive as possible and and take uh, every situation, either learn what you would do different or learn from the situation.
1: Okay. So now in your second year, 2003, you guys played 23 games in Puerto Rico, right? Yes. So for a young person in your position, um, pretty new to baseball, new to the career, what was that uh, whole process like and that experience like for you?
0: It was uh, extremely hectic at that point in time. We didn't really have a lot of guidance. We were a very small organization. Uh, there with the Expos at that point mm-hmm. in time. There was was not a lot of support uh, just in, in bodies and people. Mm-hmm. But it was great because we all kind of hung together. It was good because everyone kind of understood that this was a learning experience. Right, Guys kind of knew that, hey, this is all new to me, new to you. Let's see what works, what doesn't. And we kind of worked real well as a team at that point in time.
1: And then fast forward a few years that the news breaks that the Expos are becoming the Washington Nationals and moving to D.C. Um, what do you remember about that time of your career in your life? Uh, what What was that move like? What was do you remember how you got the news, um, what the physical move itself was like? Do you remember, um, you know, what you thought of D.C. at the time? Uh, what were your experiences were back then?
0: It was, it was a very odd time. Uh, we heard the rumors that we were going to be moving mm-hmm. to D.C. and we were in Montreal during that last season. But literally the news didn't break until the last game of that season. Right. Uh, it was a very uh, surreal type event. Uh, we come down after the game. Uh, the commissioner's there. Uh, <laughs> some other people are there at the event. We just witnessed grown men crying, and, yeah. and people were very upset because it was the last game in Expo's history at that point in time. And they announced that the team was moving to D.C. It was, it was very odd because uh, a lot of those people I had grown very fond of that I worked with. Some of those people had worked their entire lives, professional lives, for the Expos. Uh, they were very shook up at the time, and then you'd go down to the clubhouse, and for the most part, the staff and the players were extremely excited. So it was uh, very surreal. Uh, it was an exciting time for, for pretty much everyone involved. Uh, we really know what we're getting into coming to D.C. It's a brand-new market, a new area. Uh, didn't really have any any network of people at that point in time. Uh, but once again, we're small staff. We kind of leaned on each other to, to get things done and keep moving forward.
1: And then from a, from a bigger perspective, bigger picture, um, how is your role as Traveling Secretary or the, or the travel, Traveling Secretary role throughout baseball, how would you say it's changed from when you started in 2002, 2003 to where we are now in 2017?
0: just the, the information is available to the guys. Mm-hmm. It's still the same job. At the end of, end of the day, you're chartering planes, booking hotel rooms, uh, getting guys to and from the park, uh, helping facilitate player moves. But the, the technology that's there, the ability mm-hmm. to send out text messages to the players, the ability to look up information, to, to get information at your fingertips, has made things a lot easier to do. Uh, before, we used to have to you know, call a travel agent or call mm-hmm. and get someone on the horn. Right. Now you can send a text. You can go back and forth. You can uh, gather information, distribute information rather quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so in addition to your role in, in, in tra- uh, uh, team travel, you're also VP of clubhouse operations. So you kind of run the show down in the home clubhouse, um, for the team. And with that, uh, comes managing a staff of clubhouse attendants, uh, travel assistants, bat boys, um, generally younger staff, but what do you try to get across to them, especially the younger, uh, members of your staff, especially about whether or not this might be their first job in baseball, or how to pursue a career in baseball, or you know what it takes to be successful for the team and for themselves,
0: it's interesting because doing the, the travel for all those years, it was probably the hardest transition I've just not had. Mm-hmm. Is because really you depend on yourself, you right. depend on yourself to get things done. But moving with the staff and having to monitor or uh, work with a lot of those guys, mm-hmm. it's been challenging. It's, it's been good because I mean you get to someone like you said influence the, their career path and ask them what direction they want to go. But it's tough to get everybody on the same page. Right. Everyone has their own interests, has their own desires. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's been very interesting to, to try to get that group to come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's a daily, uh, a daily challenge right. because we are a small group of guys that deal with the, the mm-hmm. players on a, on a, on a day-in and day-out uh, interaction. Right. Uh, we're able to somewhat – we're the first person they see in the morning mm-hmm. and sometimes the last person they see at night. And I try to express to my staff that we can set the tone of how their day is going to go, we need to, you know, I, again, be optimistic and uh, positive when we approach those guys, win or loss, mm-hmm. and keep a professional attitude and try and keep a professional environment. It, it's tough to not get up and down with right. the losses and, and, and with the uh, with the wins, but our job is to offer the consistent service and uh, and job that we can we can do by staying consistent and level-headed. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's kind of along those same lines, but obviously we're all we're here to win, and, and the team's goal is to win every single night. But from from your perspective. When you leave Nats Park at night or your staff leaves at Nats Park at night, like, what's a win to you guys? What's, uh, what's important? What if, When you get in your car, um, you know, what would you consider a win for that evening? It's other, than s- the, other than the score on the scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, it's very
0: true, very true. <laughs> I think for us, uh, a win is when you don't know have to hear about us. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if you hear about us or we're in the middle of something, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, our job is to stay kind of uh, in the shadows, per se, or under the radar. And make things happen smoothly and go smoothly. If a guy comes in, his day goes well. He, he's able to have a productive start, a mm-hmm. productive game, good at bats. All their uh, their equipment and stuff is there when they need it. Then we've done a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're too much the center of the uh, the events going on yeah. that day, then it's been a bad day. <laughs> uh, I, I think the biggest thing for us is that as a staff, is I try to express them too that we expect to win every day. Right. We should never come to the ballpark and expect to uh, to to lose or just compete. We should expect to win every mm-hmm. day. Uh, and if and our guys have been good, the staff I have now is very good about taking that right. approach.
1: Now, you've been lucky enough over your years to work for uh, some of the biggest managers in the game from Frank Robinson, obviously, uh, Davey, uh, Dusty Baker. And then, you know, Matt Williams, Manny Acta, Jim Riggleman in between. Um, what have you learned from those guys or has anyone has any piece of advice or any experience with any of those guys uh, kind of stuck out to you
0: over your career? it's a great question because they're all very different mm-hmm. all those managers have plus points or things that are great in how they manage the game and mm-hmm. how they manage their staff and their employees and then some guys have the things you may not be too mm-hmm. fond <laughs> of uh but they've all been great to work for uh frank taught me to to, to always be thorough in what i do mm-hmm. and to uh to try and do things to the best of my abilities uh manny was was actor was a great influence on me because he kind of taught me how to step back mm-hmm. and, and not take things so personally and uh you know, do my job to the best I can that day, and that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I can't control the outcome or control how people feel about it. All I can control is the effort I give. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rickelman was great because he was very thorough a- mm-hmm. a- in my book. He was always on top of his A's and B's and a straightforward guy with right. me. And Davey taught me how to really just talk to people. Mm-hmm. Davey was very good at making a lot of people feel at home in his office, and, and I always had a great conversation, a great rapport with him. Uh Dusty's been great because he's been uh, somewhat of a mentor to me that I can bounce ideas or bounce questions and get his view baseball-wise. Like I said, I've been very fortunate. Uh, the guys I've worked with uh, have never been very critical of me. They allow mm-hmm. me to do my job and mm-hmm. kind of trust my opinion, which is great. Right. Uh, they value what I, what I offer them, and they, uh, and they give me straight answers. Right. I've, I've had managers that uh, I can, uh, you know, as long as I come in there with a question delicately, I right. can ask them why they do something during the game. Right. What was their thought process? It's been great for me because I haven't had to read the paper to figure (laughs) out what's going on with the game. (laughs) For the most part, I'm able to go and ask a manager directly what he was thinking or what was the plan or why'd you make this move? Mm. And those guys uh, respect me enough to give me a straight answer. Okay.
1: Now my next topic was going to be pretty basic about what's a normal game day like for you or no normal road game, normal home game. But, uh, with the news of today, um, I thought it'd be more, uh, important to kind of talk about what happened this morning. Um, you know we're coming in for a sunday one th- one o'clock game here and uh, the news broke shortly before the game that um the nationals acquired sean D- doolittle and ryan Matson from the oakland athletics so when we get that news we each of us have different roles i go into kind of my mode and um, you have your mode so what when the time you find out that we acquired these players like what's your what's next for you in in terms of getting in touch with them setting up for agents you know what's your what do you do
0: well most time i hear from mike rizzo mm-hmm. or one of our assistant gms that the uh the, the trade or the uh, transaction's been made. Mm-hmm. I kind of wait at that point uh, for Mike Rizzo to to welcome the the player to mm-hmm. the organization. And once I heard that Mike the, has spoken to the, the player mm-hmm. or the players and uh, the players are aware, then I'll reach out to my counterpart a lot of times. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Mickey Morbido, who's been with the Oakland Athletics for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, he and I talked this morning. Uh, we trade player information, their mm-hmm. contact information. Hey, is there anything special about this guy I need to know? Uh, have you talked to him? Are they aware mm-hmm. Uh, do they have a family? Just very basic questions to kind of give us a background of what we're going to be dealing with when mm-hmm. we finally talk to the player. Uh, so then after that, I reached out to uh, to Sean first. I called Sean, welcome mm-hmm. to the club. Uh, told him kind of how our schedule is the next few days. That we're here in Cincinnati for the next two days. Mm-hmm. We have a day game tomorrow. We know travel is going to be tough. We'd, we'd like him to get out here, but let me look at what flights are All available. Right. Uh, but if that can't happen, then... You know, we're going to be in Anaheim in the next two mm-hmm. days and kind of let him know what's going to be going on for about the next week, 10 days okay. of our season. Uh, I also reached out to, uh, to, to uh, Ryan. Ryan, Yeah, mm-hmm. excuse me, Ryan. <laughs> I was going to say Madsen. But I <laughs> reached out to Ryan, spoke to him, <laughs> and uh, did the same type of thing. Asked him, you know, uh, are they going to be traveling with their family? Mm-hmm. they have kids? Anything special they're going to need? From there, I get off the phone with them. I kind of call a travel agent. Mm-hmm. Look at the different options that are available. Uh, what time would they have to leave tonight? Uh, are there flights out of Oakland? Are there flights out of San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Are they direct? Uh, players that do first-class airfare per the CBA, so we've got to make sure we can, can offer them, if at all possible, first-class options. Uh, there was nothing really f- for those guys available tonight that made sense. We could have got them out here first thing in the morning, but it didn't really make sense to rush these guys out here to get out here for one game and then get back on a plane and fly another four or five hours back out to the West Coast. Uh, we talked about a plan with both players. They're both going to meet us in Anaheim. One guy's flying, one guy's going to drive down. And then kind of talked out uh, basic questions they may have. Simple as what's the dress code on the road? To so when are you guys leaving the Phoenix? To so, uh, Can you help me out with housing in D.C.? Uh, very simple questions. Uh, how are the guys? What's going on? It, it's, at this point, everyone's very excited. It's a good conversation and a good thing to happen. Once we get a, a plan together, uh, I'll reach back out to, to Mike Rizzo, give him a heads up, let him know what's going on, when to expect the players, and let Dusty uh, and the pitching coach know when to expect the guys in town.
1: Now, um, like you said, you're generally the, either the second or third person that these guys talk to from the organization. Um, uh, players aside, you know, when, when it's determined that they're going to come here, um, do you tell them anything about playing here or what they're about to experience coming to D.C., um, you know, about you know, whether it's the culture or the stadium or the neighborhood? Um, do you kind of preface their experience any,
0: in any way? In that initial conversation, no. no. It's more so to let them know that, hey, we're excited to have you here. We're excited to have you be a national. We're ready to get you here and get you going as mm-hmm. soon as possible. Uh, sometimes I'll tell a guy, if I have a, a previous history with him, I may mm-hmm. know, know a player, I'll tell him, hey, we got a pretty special thing going here. Okay. Uh, we're excited to get you on board with the team and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and get you on the same page as us because we're trying to do special things here mm-hmm. during, this, uh, during this season. Uh, once we sit down together, a lot of times this has happened in Anaheim. You know, I'll tell them about D.C., mm-hmm. tell them about the area, tell them about where a lot of guys live. Uh, we'll talk about shipping their cars out, mm-hmm. where they need a car, stuff like that. But these guys a little different. Some guys uh, have uh, agents that are very proactive okay. or may have other players on our team. They already have a feel or an right. idea where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it really varies from guy to guy. Most of mm-hmm. the time it's really just introduction and let them know that we're here to make them uh, – put them in the, the best situation to be successful as possible. Right.
1: Uh, do you have one memory of a guy that you met for the first time that kind of sticks out over the years?
0: It's an odd one. It, it, it sounds very very weird. There have been a few of them. Uh, but the one that sticks out to me as being like a fanboy mm-hmm. is, uh, is Rick Ankyo. Okay. I, I grew up in St. Louis. Uh, we all grew up Cardinals fans in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of guys don't remember because they're too young, but he was like the phenom at that right, point in time. Right. And coming from St. Louis, he was, the, he was supposed to be the next guy, the, the, the next the guy. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I met him with the team, it was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm meeting uh, Rick for the first right. time uh this is pretty cool it ended up my boys from St. Louis the guys I grew up with call me ask right. me more than any other player like what kind of guy is right. he? how is he is he a cool guy is he good is he gonna pitch again <laughs> uh, uh how is he to be around mm-hmm. uh but he's probably the one guy that has been very impressive the other guys have been very fortunate mm-hmm. I've met him in a very non-threatening very right. easy type environment like Vladimir Guerrero a great guy to be around mm-hmm. uh First time I met him it was very much a handshake and hey, let me know what you need mm-hmm. and he keeps going and passed me on the back. <laughs> uh but it really I, I mean when you sit back and look, we've had some great players right. here uh with the nationals from from Pudge mm-hmm. to, to guys that have been in all star games and even on our coaching staff had extremely good players. Right. But we've been we've had a good group of guys. And I think we're lucky
1: I think we're lucky enough to when a guy when we acquire somebody over the last five years, it's been a positive move for the player. Exactly. And he's coming to a good organization, a winning organization. Um, one that has a good reputation for doing things the right way. So I think we've been lucky in that regards.
0: Exactly. And we do our mm-hmm. best to, uh, from all, all, all aspects, try to make a guy feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Whether it be you guys in the PR right. staff, whether it be us in the in the clubhouse or the baseball guys, mm-hmm. we, we want them to, if, if a player's comfortable and feels at home and at ease, mm-hmm. he's going to be more productive. Absolutely. And that's kind of how we view it. That mm-hmm.
1: works. Uh, now, as everyone probably knows, this isn't a cookie-cutter 9-to-5 uh, job. We The mm-hmm. hours are uh, kind of all over the place. But I want to talk a little bit about um, – you know, let's talk about tomorrow, for instance. We have a twelve thirty-five 35 start, um, you know, generally play three hours, get on the bus, head to the airport, and you you probably have an itinerary for how tomorrow should go. Right. Um, but how do you, in your role, react and adapt to, uh-oh, we're in the 14th inning, uh, or there's rain coming, and that could affect our travel plans, or um, there's traffic either, whether it's here or in Anaheim when we land. How do you kind of, um, like I said, how do you adapt and how do you, Prepare for different scenarios.
0: The, the biggest thing is just communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a network of about five or six people on a game day that mm-hmm. I have to speak with on a regular basis. Uh, that goes from uh, Delta Airlines, our our charter group, mm-hmm. to uh, the people uh, with the bus company to the hotel and the city we're going to. Mm. You just kind of keep them abreast of what's going yeah. on. Uh, sometimes it becomes more and more difficult as mm-hmm. the day goes on because you, if you're playing in the extra innings, you can't really tell when the game's exactly. going to end. <laughs> you just kind of give them uh, – to, to me, the other part is the hard one is, is a fast game. Mm-hmm. We have extremely good pitchers. So All if right. a guy gets on a roll, we could have a two-hour and 20-minute game, mm-hmm. and that really puts uh, – if the plane's not due to get in until right at that <laughs> time, everything gets real yeah. real tense real quick. But it's, it's just a matter of communication. Mm-hmm. That's where I think that the technology has changed where – I used to have to kind of guess or Mm. wait for a guy to to call me when he lands. But now, like, when they're in the air, uh, my charter coordinator can email me. Mm. Hey, we're 45 minutes to an hour out. Mm. I'll get the email and kind of know what's going on. I can text the bus drivers. Hey, where are you at? What's going on? Uh, Tomorrow, my my biggest fear is, to be honest, is is rush hour traffic. Right. Our game's at 1230. Like you said, it's going to end around 330, and we'll probably take off around 435 o'clock. And uh, there's not much I can do with rush hour <laughs> no. traffic. Uh, so that's that's my biggest fear tomorrow. And at the end of the day, uh, I'm at the bottom of that hill, so everyone's <laughs> going to be complaining to me about the traffic.
1: No, I, th- I think when we look out the window and see bumper to bumper, what, it's understood. You can't control the traffic, can't control the weather, so – got to get thick skin in this job exactly. because
0: ultimately uh, some guys will uh, my phone will start beeping that uh, <laughs> good job with the uh, traffic rob thanks for getting us out of here on time and there's really nothing you can no, do about absolutely it you just gotta kind of as the guy, say you gotta wear it at that should point take in a time.
1: screenshot of the traffic map on google maps and just send it around to everybody but it's all red it's not tell us good to day. deal with it yeah um <laughs> uh, so a couple couple uh, extra things to, to kind of get get us out of here on this um if you had one i know it's gonna be tough because we have been around a while but one like you're, you're probably your favorite memory um In your career
0: it was probably when we uh it was two two things that Mm. really stick out to Mm. me Uh, the first ones early on is when we're in montreal Mm. and we were uh, playing the philadelphia phillies uh, during the first year and we uh we had a chance to to be tied or in first place going to the month of september Mm. and it was the first time i saw people in that front office running to watch the third out (laughs) of the game they were just the, the excitement in their eyes and the excitement in the office to be in that position in September. They hadn't been there in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty cool to be around that. Yeah. I was with the Florida Marlins before that, and we had never been in that position right. before uh, going into September. We were thinking about draft picks at that <laughs> point in time. Uh, and then the first time we, we won the division yeah. title uh, with Davey, it was pretty cool. It mm-hmm. was pretty surreal. And to see how the players and the fans and, and ownership mm-hmm. really uh, uh, embraced and, and appreciated the efforts of the team and the organization at that point in time was pretty special.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you've been, uh, you've been to every big Bay- league park and then some, right? Except Minnesota. I haven't been oh, to Minnesota in a new I've heard when, when people go to Minnesota, that goes to like number one on their list. I've heard for, it's a great for, um, ballpark, yeah. So obviously excluding Minnesota, um, what is your favorite city to visit other than
0: Washington, D.C., obviously? <laughs> good question, good question. <laughs> or Montreal. <laughs> yeah. I, I do love the, the big cities Stuff where you can go out and walk around, uh, where you don't per se need a car to get around mm. town. Um, i like going to new york philadelphia uh stuff along the east coast because like i said you can get lost in new york for a day right and uh it's pretty cool city just and mm. people watch all right uh the uh and it, it's tougher uh on the midwest to be honest it's, <laughs> it's just tough there's not a lot of a lot of times the large suburban areas mm-hmm. and there's not much going on downtown like downtown cincinnati on a on a sunday afternoon there's not <laughs> much to do down here record uh, a podcast That's yeah, what we do. Yeah. <laughs> spend time with the quality people <laughs> but uh I do like the, the larger cities are pretty cool. San Francisco, uh, Seattle is one of my mm-hmm. favorite cities. The larger cities where you can kind of just go and, and walk, and I say just get kind of lost mm-hmm. in the city.
1: What about uh, your favorite park to watch a
0: game? That's another good question. Mm-hmm. I personally like the older ballparks. Mm-hmm. I like going to Wrigley, Fenway, and Dodger Stadium. It's just when you're there, there's a sense that something special happened here yeah. in the past. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool environment. Mm-hmm. I, uh, again, I'm a little different. I loved uh, Wrigley when they didn't have the TVs <laughs> inside because it forced you to watch the game. Right. Uh, people there used to know what was, go- kn- what was going on, mm-hmm. and they, they watched the game. It mm-hmm. wasn't uh, about the, 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 the activities mm-hmm. in between innings or the t-shirt giveaway right. or right. the other items or the replays. You watched the game, you were into it, you mm-hmm. knew what was going on, and, and the fans had an appreciation of, uh, of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do like the older ballparks. Uh, the new ones, San Francisco probably right. is one of my favorite yeah. parks.
1: Now, most important question, the most important part of our day if it's t- if it's a 7 o'clock game, about six ten, we come together and we make one very important decision, that's where to eat. <laughs> um, whether it's in press dining or in the con- concession stands. If you had to pick one concession stand in all of Major League Baseball to eat at, which one is it?
0: Well, you and I have shared a lot of lunches <laughs> and dinners together. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, even more than my wife, I've de- been on more <laughs> dates with, with Kyle than anyone else. <laughs> uh, I would totally say, normal. Yeah, probably my <laughs> favorite uh, – Spot to eat is going to be in New York. The uh, the steak sandwich yep. in New York. I forget the name of the. Uh, La, Frida, La Frida Meats. Yep, there you mm-hmm. go. That <laughs> is my favorite sandwich. Uh, the Mets are gracious enough to give us a uh, complimentary, uh, uh, I guess, a debit card mm-hmm. almost, uh, for their stands to eat uh, for the visiting teams. And I, I can eat that sandwich almost every day. <laughs> and uh, the
1: corn on the cob on the side isn't a bad touch exactly. either. Exactly.
0: The corn on the cob gets a little messy, but <laughs> the sandwiches are outstanding. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the company's okay also.
1: Yeah, I can't yeah. complain. All right. Well, I appreciate the time this afternoon. Um, thanks for joining us today. Yeah,
0: thank you for having me. Hope uh, it did. Hope it went well.
1: <laughs> it did. Thanks again to Rob McDonald for spending some time with us in what amounted to be a pretty uh, busy and crazy day in his world. So, thanks again for his time. Um, our second interview is with Eddie Longos, the director of scouting operations for the Nationals. Uh, Eddie works with Mike Rizzo, Chris Klein, Doug Harris, and Johnny DePulia on all aspects of the scouting operation. Uh, he is heavily involved in the first-year player draft, and the July 2nd international signing deadline. So those two events have passed, and things calmed down for Eddie a little bit, so we took the time to check in with him, and uh, here is our interview with Eddie Longos. Hi, we are here at the Curly W Live studios with Eddie Longos, the director of scouting operations for the Nationals. Uh, Eddie is a D.C. native and an alum of the University of Richmond. He's in his seventh season with the Nationals, second in this current role. Uh, For more information, you can find his media guide bio on page 382 of the 2017 Washington Nationals Media Guide. Um, So check that out for more information on Eddie. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Eddie. Great. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Now, we haven't seen much of Eddie around the office um, the last month, month and a half or so um, because of the the draft and the July 2nd signing day. Um, that's occupied most of his time, but now that both bo- both of those have passed, we thought it would be a good time to check in and hang out with him for a little bit. Um, so we'll get to your role as it relates to the draft in July second um, later. Um, but first, I kind of want to talk to you first about your career path, and um, I guess first, um, you know, what or who inspired you to maybe pursue this career path in professional baseball.
2: Yeah, so like Kyle said, I'm a DC native. I grew up in a little suburb outside of DC. I went to high school at St. Albans right by the National Cathedral downtown and then played baseball as well at University of Richmond. And while playing at Richmond, I had battled some injuries and kind of realized my career path wasn't going to be drafted, wasn't going to be in the minor leagues. So throughout the summers, I worked out at a place in Tyson's Corner, and a guy I met there named Kevin Reese, who's now the director of pro scouting for the Yankees, was a player at the time with the Yankees actually and has some big league time. And he basically worked with me, kind of the mental approach life after baseball, as he was kind of winding down his career as well. And luck of the draw, I graduated in 2009 from Richmond, and he called me a couple months later. I was doing some coaching, a 16-year-old travel ball team in Virginia, and there was an internship with the Nationals, which started down in Vieira, Florida at the time. I took it and worked my way to where I am now. 2009 was a good year for interns, I think. We both Great started. Year. We both started
1: that year, and here we are today. Um, it seems that every young person's goal, when they try to get into this industry, um, sports in general, is um, and specifically baseball, is to get into baseball operations. It's a tough field. You have to work your way up. You have to know the right people, like you did, to get your start. Um, but we we both employ uh, a lot of interns and a lot of students, and we talk to students a lot. What type of advice do you give younger students or interns about? this career and and what it all entails and what it takes to get to a position that you're in.
2: I think you and I know best too, because we've been to the bottom. We start at the bottom where it's a grind. I mean, it's, it's long hours. I know it's managed more nowadays, but there's hours you work after you're paid. And you have to understand that I was lucky and fortunate enough that it was just one internship and then I got an opportunity where it's hard work and luck of the draw where you might have to take two, three internships. You might have to go into different fields, you know, do some advanced video, do something in the office, maybe work for a minor league affiliate. But it's get your opportunities, make the most of them, meet all the people you can and make the best of them. Because eventually all those people you meet, especially in this game and in any job, that's, that's going to get you to the next level. Absolutely.
1: That's great advice. And um so part of your upbringing i guess you could say did you uh, go to scout school yes i did so could you give listeners a little bit of a glimpse into that i'm sure a lot of have heard about it and um, especially people that might be looking at a career in baseball operations or scouting Um, it's pretty much essential right
2: yeah so scout school i did it my first year i was fortunate enough to do it right out right on the boat but it's about two weeks out in arizona it's run by the major league baseball scouting bureau and every team sponsors two Two people to attend. Usually it's people who are employees currently or interns. Sometimes it will be people who aren't with the organization but have some sort of ties. And it's very focused on report writing. So you'll go to, at that time in Arizona, it's the Instructional League for those teams. The Fall League is just about to start and there's some local colleges that are having scrimmages. And basically you go out every day, you watch the game, they give you two or three guys to focus on, you come back, you have a seminar about a certain technique which you're going to write about that day, you do your generic report, meet with your instructor, and then you publish it the next day. So it's fine tuning those skills on how to write a report more than evaluating, it's putting your stuff on paper.
1: And what would you say is the um, age range of, of people? Is it all college students, fresh out, interns, former players?
2: It varies. I mean, my time when I was there, I was about 23 years old. I was probably one of the younger ones. But it's nice. Like you said, it's a good mix of both interns, full-time employees, and former players. When I was there, Jock Jones actually was in my class, so we always joke about it when I see him down in the field. And also Flash, Tom Flash Gordon, former big leaguer for years, was in my class too. So it's a good range. It's a good uh, versatility, and everyone has a good resume. So you really learn from the other people aside from your instructor in the group. I guess
1: uh to build on that what was it like for you sitting next to Jock Jones and Tom Gordon both guys who played 10 years in the big leagues or more um and you guys are kind of on the same level at this point you're both learning the industry learning this side of the business
2: I think first when you're first there you kind of you know starstruck a little bit you have that great respect for those especially those two guys who had long and very successful careers but especially jock and you know i didn't get to know flash very well but jock was very welcoming from the start he basically said hey we're on the same level now i'm learning just like you are we're fresh at this um and we worked you you almost worked together with your group which is nice but you know you you looked up to them throughout it even if they ask you questions you kind of go to them first just to see their feel because they see stuff differently than i see i mean i never played professional baseball like those guys but it was a nice learning tool to have those guys there for sure
1: That's awesome. So in your current role, let's get into that a little bit. And like I said, as you can find in his media guide bio, um, you assist Mike Rizzo, Doug Harris, Chris Klein um, on all aspects of the scouting operation from here in D.C. So give listeners a brief, you know, rundown of what all that entails and and what do you like most about your role?
2: Yeah, so uh, Chris Klein and I, we do primarily the amateur side and that runs the busy season from that is when the season junior college season starts the last week of January up and through the draft so it's day-to-day stuff, getting our scouts to the right games, administrative stuff, and basically all the preparation it takes for the draft, working on our, with Major League Baseball, working with our team doctor, working with our trainers to get medicals through, getting draft IDs so guys can be drafted. It, it's a grind that our guys go through, but that's, that's my focus those couple months. And it's a nice mix and transition where after that's done and after the draft, I go down to Florida and sign all the guys down there get to meet all our drafted players, and it transitions quickly into the pro side, which is where I work with Doug Harris. And right away, it's gearing up for the trade deadline. So it's looking at, you know, through our evaluations and our needs with the big league club, who we need, what can help our minor league system in trades, and getting guys to see those players as well. And the same type of stuff with our pro department where we have 12, guy, 12 scouts, day-to-day needs, what they need. I'm the only person in D.C. in the scouting department So basically their voice as well in the office to Mike Rizzo, to Bob Miller, to all the guys in the office as well, where they don't get their voice directly at times unless they're coming through for coverage. And then lastly, uh, like Kyle said at the beginning, the July 2nd is all international signings. So I do a little bit, not as much in that department, but that's primarily with Johnny Puglia. I'll go to the Dominican Republic a couple times a year. Just to see the guys down there both during their instructional league and their winter league so it's it's a nice mix and i think that's the great thing about my role where i get a nice mix of everything it's not just one department where you never get bored there's something always going on it's it's a mix in all three of those at all times throughout the year
1: are you ever able to get out into the field and scout either amateur or
2: professional yes so i go to all the amateur showcases during the summer the area code games in august east coast pro showcase in July, the Cape All-Star game July. The major showcases i all 10 during the summer. Uh, I cover for pro coverage. I've covered the Orioles in the past, just have an organization. It's tougher with the draft and whatnot. And then during the spring, I'll see a couple of amateurs. I probably see 15 to 20 players, guys that I know we're going to take in the t- top three rounds usually. So I get a little bit out there. I'll do some during spring training because there's a plethora of talent down in Florida, so I'll get to see guys during that. But a lot of it is just you know day-to-day stuff in the office which you know keeps me in here
1: it's a nice office though nice view out of the city of dc yeah i get to watch the planes take off <laughs> and the storms come in exactly uh, and the u-haul yeah uh so back to the draft we'll just dive into that a little bit um like i said it was about a month ago so um things have died down guys have signed uh, i believe we signed 33 of our 40 draft picks um they're reporting to whatever um affiliate we send them to whether it's the GCL or um auburn um so i guess without getting too intricate um and give away too many secrets uh, or any at all uh what's the final month or so leading up to the draft like for you um is it is it intense is it fast paced is it um you know are you working 24 hours what what, what's that like last
2: month like may is extremely busy i mean it's first it's getting guys you know the conference tournaments happen then the college world series happens so it's guys finish their coverage they come in for their area scout meetings where they go over their prep list of all their players and the guys they really want. So we do that as close as we can to the middle of the month, and then it's full frontal where it's making sure everything's in for the draft. Every medical has been reviewed. Every player has a draft number so they can be drafted. And then the draft hits, and then it's those couple days leading up to it, it's you know making that board for the draft, ranking our players, who we really want, talking with Doug Harris, Mark Shalaba, And the player development system what our needs are i think this year we did a very good job because we really wanted to focus on pitching and catching and we got some really good arms this year and a couple good catchers late and young catching too which is what we needed so it's it's a lot in may it's a grind but it's one of those things where you know it's coming every year no matter what it's like you know it's going to hit you and you just got to be prepared for it
1: and then moving to onto the draft itself it's it's three days three long days um what what are those three days like for you in your role and, and as a scouting operation as a whole?
2: So the first day is a lot of as they say twiddling your thumbs. It's we don't pick usually, I and mean, you know we've had a really good team the last couple of years, so we pick later that day. I mean this year we didn't pick till after nine thirty at night. The draft starts at seven, so it's a lot of waiting that first day. You know you're gonna get you know you're gonna get good players throughout the draft, but that first day you're, you know you're gonna get a guy you really want and like. So that's that day is kind of slow paced. After that day is over, the next day, day two, where it's rounds three to ten, that's the day where you kind of make your bread and butter, where you work within your pool with the dollars you have and your needs and especially you know who you take those first couple picks to manage it so that you can sign all these players within your pool amount. So day two, that night leading up to day two is extremely busy. And then day three, which is the rest of the draft, it's a lot of – filling for your minor league system, guys that didn't go in the top ten that are not now signable. And that day is rapid fire. So you're picking very quickly, and you have to be on the phone. Everyone's got to be on the phone with the scouts. It's who the scouts want, who the scouts know will sign if kids have changed their minds. So there's a lot going into that. And I would say the three days of the draft are, are really the only time I'm really a little on edge because it's <laughs> the draft ID system, which I'm not going to get into, but you need a draft ID to pick a guy, you know, Luckily, I've been fortunate where I've never had the issue where a number's not in, but I'm always paranoid where when you look up that number to draft, it's not there, which is probably the worst feeling in the world if everyone's ever had it. But that's probably the most nerve-wracking. But yeah, day two and day three are probably the most intense. Day one's kind of just getting the feel. You know, everyone's excited. I mean, it's obviously broadcast, but day two and three is really where it's at.
1: Well, if you're on edge, you don't show it because as long as I've been in there with you, you've been cool as a cucumber and listening or answering my questions about who we might take so we can write a press release as fast as possible and um so like i said you're cool as a cucumber in there i try i try (laughs) um so now now that it's over and we're about a month past um and you talked about this a little bit but are your your amateur guys are they on to the 2018 draft are they um you know switching over to pro coverage for the postseason um you know what's kind of their july august september like
2: Yeah, so they always say the day after the draft ends is when 2018 starts. Mm -hmm. So these guys, right away, there's a showcase. Perfect Game runs a lot of showcases throughout the summer. There's one down in Fort Myers, which is immediately after the draft. So a lot of guys will go to that. But majority they'll go. Some will do some Cape coverage. It's more regional coverage where the guys in the Midwest-West will go to the Area Code Games in August where the top, the elite players will be at. The guys on the East Coast will go to East Coast Pro Showcase in Tampa. And there'll be local stuff for you know tryout camps and whatnot. Our guys also do pro coverage, so we cover all the rookie leagues with all our area scouts, so they'll have that as well to do. And then, and then I have the guys cover every college summer league and every college summer league all-star game. So they get, they get around a lot, and then as soon as September hits, in October, all the major colleges have scout days, which they invite all the scouts to come, they inter-squad. So it's it's not as intense as you know, the regular season, but they they still have day to day stuff they got to get rolling for their follow list, which is basically their preliminary list for the following year, which is due December first. Okay, so um, I guess the
1: the goal we always talk about every year, and we kind of talk about in the office is you draft big leaguers. That that's the goal. We have forty picks; you want to draft forty big leaguers, um, and you know at the top first second round you're going to get hopefully an impact player, but. The Nationals have a lot of success recently uh in the later rounds. And going back to a guy like uh Michael A. Taylor who was in the sixth back when he was selected, um Billy Burns, who they, they traded to uh Oakland a couple of years ago, was a thirtieth round pick, uh, Coda Glover, eighth round. Um, how much pride do you guys take in um obviously selecting someone strong at the top of the draft, but when you develop sign or draft and develop major league talent in the later rounds, how much how much pride do you as a staff take in that?
2: I mean that's it's the most I mean, it's great. And that's all on the Area Scout too. It's these guys that go to the homes, really meet the kid, get to know them, have a great history with them. I mean, Coda Glover, for example, Ed Guffson, who's our Area Scout there in the Midwest and North Texas, he'd seen him since high school, through the junior college he was at, and then at Oklahoma State as well. I mean, he had really built a history with these guys. And same with Billy Burns. Billy Burns lived down the street from Roy Clark and Roy had seen him as a kid and really got to know him and, and knew this kid was special. So I take a lot of pride in it. I know Chris Klein does. I know Mike Rizzo does. But it's it's all in the area, scout with those guys. I mean, you look at some of the guys we took this year, the younger guys, where I'm eager to see them because you know our a lot of guys are at small junior colleges or small high schools, mm-hmm. and they take a risk. I mean, it's not absorbance amounts of money, but they're taking a risk, and it's their name by them. So they know what they have to do and how they have to compete.
1: Other guys like uh, Robbie Ray, Nathan Carnes were out of the top, uh, I think, Ray was 11th and then Nathan Carnes was 13th, I think. And both of them, I mean, Robbie Ray is a Cy Young candidate this year.
2: And both those, those are great examples too, Kai. I mean, Mm -hmm. Robbie Ray, the scout literally knew the family personally since he was a kid. And Nathan Carnes, I mean, like again, our our scout actually who signed him was his coach at Texas Tech. (laughs) So it's a nice mix where they build this history and they really get to know the kids. And that's one of the most important things is, yeah, they can perform on the field, but knowing the kids makeup, their mental capacity and you know their family setting makes a lot of difference too in how they perform and how they make it through the minor league system and ultimately to the big leagues
1: i think we've got one developing this year from last year's draft uh daniel johnson who's absolutely i think he's up to like 16 or 17 home runs this season um that's another example i think he was what a fifth fifth or sixth round pick yep. last year um so yeah it's like i said there's 40 rounds of the draft and obviously you're going to get talent in the top at the way top but um systems are built through the depth and through the draft and um you know, when you can hit on big leaguers in the thirtieth round, I think you're doing something right. Um so my last last topic I want to talk to you about is um scouting is full of uh terms and lingo to describe players. Absolutely. Um for the casual fan they might not know what the heck a scout is saying when they describe a player, but what I hope you can do for fans that are listening is let's throw out some of those terms so they can help uh impress their friends when they're sitting at Nats Park or they're sitting at a high school or college game and uh, they can impress their friends by talking about how good this pitcher is or how
2: good this hitter is. I think the first key things where you can impress, where everyone thinks they know but they, they really probably don't, is know the five tools. So know that, you know, there's the hit tool, the power tool, the run, the field, and the arm. So know those right away. So say, oh, you know, if you say a guy's a five-tool player, well, he's got all, th- all five of those. I mean, Bryce Harper, five-tool player, pretty obvious, Right. So that's just kind of the basic. Where you can really get guys going is know the scouting scale. So it's a 20 to 80 scale. It's not 0 to 100. Scouting, no matter where you go, it's 20 to 80, 2 to 8. Some teams do it that way. But an 80 is an everyday, basically a Hall of Famer. I mean, you're not going to throw that lightly. So if you say a guy's an 80, I mean, that means he's really special. Most guys what we write up are, you know, the 55, 60s, and that's an everyday all-star. So that's a good player. And then compare guys. So say, you know, Hey, this guy catches like Yachty. and a guy might look at you and say, "Well, Yachty Molina is pretty good." Yeah, exactly. And you can say, "Well, he, he can field, he can throw, you can bring the tools back into that." But I like to break it down more towards you know the role grades where you can throw out words all the time. But you know, eighty fastball—that's a guy that no matter is basically unhittable. Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, eighty fastballs. I mean, talk about those grades, and that's what really defines the player. Um, The guys that are, you know, throwers, power arm, that's a good way to say it. You know, nasty break, nasty 12 to 6 on a breaking ball. Uh, His changeup really drops out of the zone. I mean, little phrases like that can get you going. Or, you know, that's just the pure uh, power bat. I mean, even those small words define a lot about a player.
1: And they transcend Uh, anybody in the industry. If you say someone's nasty – that everyone pretty much knows what absolutely. that means it's not gonna um you're not gonna cut anyone off guard um, but hey man thanks for joining us today that's all i really got for you this afternoon i know you're you're a busy man right now you're um we're getting started in this first uh 10-day road trip of the second half so i know we've all got stuff to do so i appreciate you uh spending some time with us this afternoon
2: absolutely thanks man appreciate thanks. It.
1: thanks again to rob and eddie for joining us on the fifth episode of the curly w live podcast uh, like we always say we want your feedback so feel free to tweet at me at kyle brostowitz or at nationals or feel free to leave comments on curly w live if there's anything you want to see or hear about or if you have any good ideas for uh, the next episode feel free to tweet at us or leave comments as i said you can always find the podcast on our blog curly w live which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcast and itunes sure to subscribe to the blog as well as the podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on anything. And as we said in the open, the Nationals return home to Nationals Park on Tuesday, July 25th for a homestand with the Milwaukee Brewers and the Colorado Rockies. Some of the cool promotions the Nationals have set up for this homestand, Tuesday, July 25th is U.S. Marine Corps Day um, on Wednesday, July 26th. The Nationals will be giving out Nationals Fedora to the first twenty-five thousand fans presented by Delta Airlines. Saturday and Sunday are the food drives presented by Harris Teeter, uh, both Saturday for the seven hundred five game and Sunday for the one thirty-five game. So once again, uh, be sure to check out uh, Nationals Park next week as the team returns home from this nine-game road trip. Um, and until next time, fans, thanks for checking out the podcast.